0: what is going on solo fam my name is john solo and this is messed up origins the show where I take the children's stories you hold nearest and dearest to your heart and ruin them with the truth at least that's what some people say I like to think I make them more interesting but I guess that's for you to decide now the story that we're talking about today donkey skin is actually one that I'd never read before I started my research some of you may have clicked on this video because you've read the modern reimagining called deer skin which I can only describe as the literary equivalent of a snuff Film, and others may have been told the story when you were a kid. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. It follows a beautiful princess whose father is determined to marry her. Yes, I said father. So she dons the disguise of a donkey carcass to run away from home. And it gets so much worse from there. Not only does the princess have to suffer through cruel and unusual punishment after already escaping her psychotic incestuous dad, but the nature of these punishments gets increasingly severe the farther back in time we go. Because believe it or not, stories where beautiful young women were pined after by their own flesh and blood were shockingly common in old Europe. And in addition to exploring some of those stories today, we're gonna take a look at some possible explanations for their popularity. And now the messed up origins, I'm sorry, the very messed up origins of donkey skin. Chapter one, donkey skin. So there is a shocking number of variations of this story, but the one that most people seem to be familiar with is donkey skin which French author Charles Perrault included in his 1697 collection called Histories or Tales of Past Times. And in my opinion, it's that version that has the most in common with all the other variations. So that's why we're talking about it first. It opens with the introduction of a powerful and perfect king. He was kind and just in peace and terrifying in war, which meant his citizens loved him as much as his enemies feared him. He and his wife had a beautiful daughter together who we'll just call the princess and their lives were about as perfect as can be. Opener like that, you know that shit's gonna hit the fan real soon. And it does when the king's wife falls (laughs) ill and on her deathbed makes him promise that if he ever finds a woman as beautiful and wise as she is, that he'll make her his queen. Now, when I first read this, I thought, Wow, she's being an unusually good sport about him finding a new wife, but it turns out she only made him promise that because she knew it would never happen. And this is normally where I'd rip on her for having such a massive ego, but she ends up being right. The king searches high and low for a new bride, but none of them could compare to his late wife. That is, except for his daughter. When he proposed the idea to her though, she didn't take it too well. Feeling both sad and scared, she consulted her fairy godmother for advice and she came up with a plan. She told the princess that for her own safety, she should agree to the proposal, but set terms that are impossible to meet. So she told her father that she would only marry him if he could make her three dresses, one that matches the color of the sky, another that matches the moon, and a third that's as bright as the sun. Now, if you're not familiar with medieval fashion, and I'm going to assume that applies to most of you, you might not get why these dresses were so difficult to make. I mean, bright as the sun is obviously a head scratcher, but what's so impossible about a blue or white dress? Well, back in those days, blue was an extremely difficult color to manufacture because it was almost never found in nature, meaning that an expensive and complicated chemical process was required to mix certain elements and create blue dye. Only the most esteemed members of the royal class ever wore blue clothing, which is why the sacred Virgin Mary is always depicted in a blue robe. The color white also had a similar issue. Most places where you would assume it came from naturally, like sheep wool, were actually off-white or beige, and the bleaching process wasn't as easy as it is today. Not only that, true white was also impossible to keep clean. Even the royals only really wore white for their undergarments. Nevertheless, the king was able to meet his daughter's demands with terrifying ease, so she had to request something that she knew he could never part with, the hide of his magic donkey that gold. What? Don't tell me you've never seen a donkey that shits gold. They're almost as common as pigs that fly. See, the reason this donkey was so valuable to the king was that it sustained his kingdom's economy by always dropping this invaluable resource every morning. And the princess knew that he would never sacrifice his most precious pet, until his servants brought her the bloody hide of said pet. With the new understanding that her father will stop at nothing to have her hand in marriage, the princess has no choice but to run away. She stuffs her fabulous dresses in a magical treasure chest that can disappear into thin air and dons the fresh donkey hide as she makes her escape to a new kingdom. Now, as you might expect, it's pretty hard for the princess to make friends while looking like a reanimated animal corpse, but she does manage to find work doing hard manual labor at a farm out in the boonies where she was harassed relentlessly by the other servants. Her only escape from reality came every Sunday when she would bathe herself and try on the beautiful dresses that were stowed away in her invisible chest. And after a few of those Sundays go by, the son of the king who owned this farm happened to pay visit while on the search for some adventure. And when he spied through the princess's keyhole, he found what he was looking for. Standing there in a dress covered in so many diamonds that it shone bright like the sun was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. And while he wanted to knock on her door and introduce himself, he couldn't help but be intimidated. He ends up returning home to gather his bearings and recover some courage. But when he goes back to the farm to ask about the beautiful maiden, everyone there tells him the girl who lives in that room is a hideous half animal called Donkey Skin. I have no idea who you're talking about. Obviously not what he wanted to hear, so he gets extremely depressed (laughs) and tells his parents that the only cure is a cake personally baked by donkey skin which she goes on to make him. Only during the preparation process, she accidentally dropped her ring in the batter and baked it into the cake. So when the prince found it, he had a bit of a Cinderella situation on his hands. Though something tells me that Disney won't be adapting this story anytime soon. The prince then made the announcement that he would only marry the woman whose finger fit the ring. And suddenly women all around the kingdom were trying some horrendous methods to meet the requirements. Some peeled off their skin like potatoes, others removed the skin with magical potion, which I have to believe was acid, and others straight up cut little pieces off. It all ended up being for nothing though. Every princess, baroness, servant, and farmhand tried the ring on to no avail. That is until the prince ordered his servants to bring him donkey skin, who probably should have tried it on first, being that she's the one who made the cake. Well, lo and behold, she tries the ring on and confirms that it's a perfect fit. Then she cleans herself up before meeting the prince and he instantly recognizes her as the angel he laid eyes on all those weeks ago. Next, the two agree to get married and all the most important people from their kingdom and the neighboring ones are in attendance. That's including the princess's father, by the way, who also instantly recognizes her. You don't have to worry though. He felt horrible about how seriously creepy he was being when she ran away and apologized profusely. So the. new queen got to live happily ever after with her new husband. Then Charles Perrault leaves us with these closing lines. It's not hard to see that the moral of this tale is that it's better to undergo the greatest hardships rather than to fail in one's duty. That virtue may sometimes seem ill-fated but will always triumph in the end. And while I don't totally agree with that being the moral of this story, I do like the message. As the old saying goes, it's not over until it's over. And neither is this video. So let's talk about some more fairy tales that have a concerning amount in common with donkey skin. Chapter 2, Unnatural Love. Now, those of you who are new to the world of folklore may not be familiar with something called the Arne Thompson Uther Tale Type Index. To put it simply, it's the official system used to categorize folktales from all over the world based on the archetypes and motifs they have in common. Donkey Skin falls into category ATU-510B, Unnatural Love or more specifically, the father who wanted to marry his daughter. And it shares that category with at least two dozen other stories. One of which came around in 1812 when the Grimm brothers released the first edition of their famous collection, Children's and Household Tales. They included their own version of the story called All Kinds of Fur. It follows a very similar structure to donkey skin, but has a few elements changed. Like instead of the princess demanding the donkey hide after the three impossible to make dresses, the hide is replaced by a cloak made from the pelts of a thousand different animals. Also, instead of finding work at a farm when she runs away, the princess is given a job in the kitchen of a different king after he initially mistakes her for an animal since she's wearing the crazy cloak. A concerning element unique to this story is that after being hired, it becomes a nightly routine for the princess to go to the king's bedroom and take off his boots, which he repays her for by throwing them at her head. The Grimm brothers also put their beloved rule of three to work by having the heroine meet the king at three different celebrations in the three different dresses, then causing her to run back to the kitchen to make soup for the king and sneak three household items into his bowl, a golden ring, a golden spinning wheel, and a golden reel. Then after discovering her true identity, the king tells the princess that she's going to be his bride and they will never be apart again. He doesn't ask her, mind you, he tells her. Giving the story an oddly unsettling ending. Even though the last line is, and they lived happily until they died, it doesn't feel like that's the case, but we'll talk more about that in the next section. Before we move on, though, I've got two more stories I want to touch on, each one even more messed up than the last. The first one is called The She Bear. It can be found in Italian author Giambattista Basile's Pentamarone collection, published in 1634. So this was more than a half century before the publication of Donkey Skin. Unlike the Grimm Brothers version, which came almost two centuries after. However, it does have the same exact setup as the previous two stories. Beautiful queen dies, she makes her husband promise that he'll only marry someone as beautiful as her, and after running out of other options, he settles for his daughter, who could not be less interested. Only instead of this princess following her mentor's advice and demanding three celestial dresses like our last two heroines, her nurse gives her a magic piece of wood that will temporarily turn her into a bear as long as it's in her mouth. Under the threat of death, the princess is forced to go to her father's bedchambers that night, but when he beckons her into bed, she undergoes the transformation and scares the absolute shit out of him. Now, I wish I could say that she tore her father into bloody pieces after this, but she was still a princess and didn't have quite the thirst for gratuitous violence that I do. So instead, she runs away into the woods while still in bare form, and it's there that she's discovered by a prince who's charmed by her sweet nature and takes her in as a pet. Only one day, the princess takes the piece of wood out of her mouth to stretch her human legs, and the prince catches sight of the most beautiful woman he's ever seen sitting where his pet bear should be. But when he runs out to see her, she's back in her bear form, much to his chagrin. Then just like the guy from the first story, this guy gets obscenely depressed over the idea that he'll never see that absolute dime ever again. So from this point onward, he spends all of his time with the bear just waiting for her to change back. And I don't think you're ready for this part. He gets so lovesick that he ends up making out with the bear, causing the wood piece to fall out of her mouth and transform her into a human once again. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we just discovered the messed up origins of furries. Now our last story is definitely the most messed up of today's bunch. It's another Italian fairy tale called Doralice and was included in the Facetious Nights of Straparola written by Giovanni Straparola. It's also the oldest variant of the story that we found. You may notice that it's missing certain elements like the dresses, the heroine having to engage in hard manual labor, and social gatherings where she meets the king while all prettied up. That being said, the setup for the story is still pretty much the same. A queen dies and makes her husband promise that he'll only marry the woman whose finger fits her ring. And that just so happens to be his daughter, Doralice. The way she escapes this time is very different though. Her old nurse hides her away in a big ornate chest along with a special potion that provides all the nourishment she needs with just a spoonful. This makes the king furious when he can't find his daughter and while in a rage, she sells the giant chest which leads to it coming into the possession of a young king who eventually discovers Doralice and marries her. The story isn't over yet though, because Doralice's father gets word of this news and manages to track her down. Then, while disguised as a merchant, he tells the new queen that he'll give her a staff of pure gold if she lets him sleep in her children's room for one night. Obviously a terrible idea, but she agrees to it because it's a really nice staff. And the next morning, she and her husband discover the dead bodies of their newborn babies sitting in their blood-soaked crib. This leads to the king consulting with an astrologer and he says the culprit is whoever's knife is stained with blood. Only here's the thing. The astrologer was actually tobaldo Doralice's father, in disguise. And on the night of the murder, he snuck into his daughter's bedroom and used her knife to murder the babies. So when her husband finds the bloody knife, he thinks that she did it and orders a sinister punishment for her. Doralice is stripped naked, buried up to her neck in dirt, and given just enough food and water to keep her alive so that she could feel the worms all around her, eating her body. And she endured this misery for days on end, only thinking about how her poor, innocent babies would never be avenged. However, after Tobaldo returns home, he makes the serious mistake of bragging to his daughter's old nurse about his crimes. And because she's a BMF, she immediately saddles up on a horse and makes a ride to Doralice's new kingdom to reveal the truth. After learning what really happened, Doralice's husband immediately has her pulled from the dirt and nursed back to health, then builds a massive army to conquer Devaldo's kingdom and bring him back for his own torture and execution. He confessed to all of his crimes after being put on the rack, an instrument that stretches the victim until their joints either dislocate or tear off completely. Then he was brought to town square, tortured with red hot pincers in full view of everyone. And when he couldn't take any more, his body was chopped into pieces and fed to the dogs. Like Shakespeare said, violent delights have violent ends. I do think justice was served though. Also, be happy to hear that Doralice and her husband lived happily ever after and left behind beautiful children to continue their legacy. Chapter 3 But Why? So as you can see, there is no shortage of European stories where innocent young women are forced to escape the sexual advances of their relatives. The father was the culprit in all of today's stories, but it can also be an uncle or even a brother, as we learned in my episode on The Girl Without Hands. And what's concerning about this is that according to D.L. Ashleman, a folklorist whose work I've referenced countless times in this series, the broad distribution and longevity of these stories provide evidence that they broach all too common problems of real life. In other words, the reasons stories like this were so common was because they were relatable. It was a real problem that women throughout the medieval period faced. And the way these conflicts are handled says even more about European culture at that time. For example, the father's right to his daughter is never directly challenged in any of these folk tales. Sometimes there's a line about the king's consultants finding it odd and the author always makes it clear that what he's asking for is disgusting, but no one ever stands up to him. And that may be a reflection of the father's authority as the head of the household at that time. The other weird thing is that in most of these stories, he doesn't get punished. It can happen as we saw in Dora Liche, but most stories end with him never being heard from again, like in All Kinds of Fur, or him being forgiven just for saying sorry, like in Donkey Skin. Pretty weird when you think about how the evil queen from Snow White was forced to dance in red hot iron slippers until she died to pay for her crimes. When you take all this into consideration, along with the sacrifices the princess has to make when she runs away from the luxuries of her royal life, you can also Most consider these stories to be a warning for women who found themselves with the same problem. It's basically saying, hey girl, you can try to get your father punished for what he did to you, but remember he is the one who provides your food and shelter. If he were to get punished, you're gonna have to find your own way to survive and it's a dangerous world out there. And when that message is communicated to you after the male figure you were the closest with just betrayed your trust, it's gonna scare you into subservience. Not saying that was the purpose of the story. In reality, it was probably meant to be therapeutic and help victims cope, but it may have been a byproduct. Now, obviously this wasn't something that happened in every household in Europe, but it had to have happened enough for stories like Donkey Skin to stick in people's minds for centuries. At least that's the theory. There is a lot more to Ashleman's essay though, so if you wanna check it out or read the full versions of any of the stories we talked about today, links are in the description below as always. As for this episode, those were the messed up origins of donkey skin. Thank you all for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast. We're posting episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So don't forget to sacrifice the five star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods to make sure they bless your feed with more mythological and folklore content. If you have any thoughts on this episode you'd like to share, like if you really enjoyed it or are dying to correct my pronunciation of something, hit me up under the Messed Up Origins handles on Twitter and Instagram. And to those who are craving more Messed Up Origins, feel free to check out other episodes of the podcast or look up my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom-made artwork. Until next time, Solo fam, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first.